the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you here every Saturday evening on AM 1280, The Patriot. Parents in our living rooms across the country are very busy at this time of year registering their young children for preschool and kindergarten. That's right, Rebecca. As the father of a five-year-old myself and having just submitted an application for her enrollment in kindergarten, my wife and I are still kind of pinching ourselves (laughs) uh, that our firstborn is taking that step from preschool into the start of her formal schooling experience. I'll be honest, just the thought of that is quite daunting, knowing that she's transitioning from this little peanut that I used to hold like this, okay, Uh (laughs) and that she's transitioning into the next phase away from being a baby girl. Yeah, boy, I remember those days. I have four grown sons now, and when my oldest was entering kindergarten, it was such a big decision. I remember back then thinking, which school is going to be the best school for him? And we were thinking public all the way at that time. And we had two different options before us. And making the decision as to which school was going to be the best fit for him was a really, really big decision. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is going to affect the whole trajectory of his life. That's right. And really, students get one chance at an education. And so we really can't take this decision lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that son of mine is 32 years old, if you can believe that. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, And ended up in a very, in a variety of different Location. The days are long, public, but the years but, are short, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. The the years are very short, and getting shorter the older I get. Oh yeah. So um, whether it's preschool or kindergarten, we want to take a look at how parents can prepare their little ones for the big transition from home into the classroom. And joining us in studio today to provide some insight and many helpful tips on how to come alongside our children are early childhood and kindergarten instructors at Liberty Classical Academy, Shelley DeBrockta and Tanya Kronschnabel. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, ladies. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before we launch into asking you how to prepare our kids? Okay. Well, again, my name is Shelley DeBrocka and I have been in the early childhood setting and early elementary setting for numerous years. I have a master's degree in teaching from Trinity University in San Antonio, taught first grade in Texas, and have been able to teach preschool for nearly the last six years. That's so wonderful. And yes. Shelley is a prized teacher at our school, as is Tanya. Now, I don't hear a Texas twang. 
No, we're originally <laughs> from Minnesota. We oh. oh, that's why. The military okay. brought us there. Okay, I forgot that uh, you had originated here, and I've always wondered why you didn't have the southern the southern drawl. <laughs> now, our next guest, though, Tanya, she does come with uh, quite the accent. Does I she? do. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you introduce yourself as well? Sure. I'm Tanya Kronschnabel, um, and I'm the, the current kindergarten teacher at Liberty Classical Academy, and you might notice that I have a bit of an accent, and that's because I'm from Fridley. <laughs> 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 For only the last, what, 10 years? Yeah. And prior to that. My husband always tells me to say that. Um, no, actually, I'm originally from New Zealand, and I actually did my training way, way, way back at Teachers College at the um, Auckland College of Education back in New Zealand there and then I taught in the public school systems for a couple of years there and then I moved across to Australia and I taught at a Christian um, at a Christian private school there, uh, kindergarten, for eight years and then uh, uh, married my husband and then ended up in the States here and I actually taught at Heritage Christian Academy, which is now something different, MLLA or th- no. No, it's heritage. No, it's heritage. It's it heritage. used to be. It a used different to be name. MLLA. That's yes, what it was. Yeah. So I taught there for a few years, and now I've been at Liberty for the last six years. So about nineteen years in the classroom, all told, and most of that has been in the kindergarten classroom. That's my sweet spot. I just love five and six year olds. Oh, yeah. And that's wonderful. And if you, if if our listeners are ever curious about seeing these two ladies in action, they will be blown away. And you can come and visit Liberty Classical Academy. You can come and tour the school. You can do private tours or check our website out um, or our website out for dates of upcoming open houses and all access tours um, it's quite impressive to watch these two women at work and I know that our listeners would enjoy that but on that note we're going to launch into some of qu- some questions that we want to ask you and we're going to start with questions that refer to how to prepare a child for inside the classroom or what what they should be looking for when they're looking for a good kindergarten what they should be looking for inside the classroom so maybe tell us um, both Tanya and Shelley and you know you can kind of decide who you want to who wants to respond first to these questions, but what should a parent look for when they're searching for a good preschool and kindergarten program? Do you want to go first with preschool? Sure. With <laughs> preschool, first I think it's important to understand their learning style and how they learn best, and they learn by moving and discovering and exploring. So it's important that the classroom supports that learning, that they have time for whole group instruction, but they're also in small groups, and they're going from this to that. And that there's intention in each of the things. And often a preschool classroom can look like chaos, but it's controlled chaos Mm -hmm. as they're interacting with one another and speaking to each other and learning through that process. Mm -hmm. So that's important. Mm -hmm. Finding um, a welcoming teacher. Mm -hmm. Sometimes this is your first experience having your child go and you want to make sure they're in a safe and caring environment so that the teacher's on the floor with them Mm -hmm. and encouraging them in their learning. And that, you know, Looking at the environment, that there's student artwork on the wall, there's mm-hmm. blocks to play with, mm-hmm. but um, it's important to t- to go visit and to see to make sure those things are going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree that going to see is huge. If you can see the classroom in action, that's going to sh- show you a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're looking at kindergarten, I would just add kindergarten is the that's the the foundation, that's the building block for everything else that's going to come afterwards. So you're looking for really good solid foundations. Um, for me, in teaching in different schools in different countries, I was always interested in making sure that where I was teaching had a very good phonics program. It needs to be a really good, strong pre-reading phonics program. Um, 
and that's the that's just the best solid foundation ready for um, reading skills to come later. Math um, is also really important. Again, I would look at. Um, you know, what do they cover? Uh, do they just do worksheets or do they do lots of hands-on sort of activities? Uh, how many recesses they have? It's still really important for these kids to work hard but play hard. And so um, is there time for them to have recess? Is there time for them to move during the day as well as sit at their desks? I mean, I have expectations that my children do sit and do work, but I also have – we have times of um, moving our bodies and using our hands and our legs and all that sort of thing as mm-hmm. well as mm-hmm. – as the other things. Yeah, that's really important at Liberty. We we do value the recess time and then even within the classroom, that movement. Yes. Yeah, that's great. So, Shelley, transitioning from home, um, why is one-to-one correspondence something that's really important for kids entering preschool to learn and understand? Well, it's basically an understanding of what numbers are. Mm-hmm. Um, through memorization, they learned how to count one through 10 and, mm-hmm. and higher. Mm-hmm. But do they really understand what those mean? Mm-hmm. So it's important that you're counting with them, that you're counting their toes and putting your finger on each toe, that one, two, three, mm-hmm. that they understand that there's this means something. There's a certain number of objects that go with this number. Mm-hmm. And this can be done by walking out to the car. How many cars or how many tires are on this car? Mm-hmm. Um, going to the park, how many dogs do you see? It's just reinforcing that numbers have meaning and to mm-hmm. do that counting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you lay objects out for them on the table, sometimes it can be very hard for them to count them individually. And it's teaching them how to organize them, put them mm. in a straight line and one mm-hmm. at a time. Mm. So there's just some helpful things yeah. to understand what numbers truly mean. Because without that, math is it's inhibited. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's necessary for math to continue right. when they're learning. Right. So that's an important skill to learn in preschool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. And then what would be some of the intended goals and purposes of your particular teaching styles, both individually and then within the classical education format? Um, okay, well, for me, I really want my kindies to have fun, um, but I want to dress up that fun so they don't actually realize that I'm sneaking in and I'm just <laughs> packing a whole lot of knowledge into their little brains at the same time. And so I would say that's my teaching style, um, is that I want it to be engaging. I want it to be age-appropriate. I don't, um, and I've been doing this for a long time. I know what kindies are capable of, and I know what they're not capable of, and it's not fair to ask them to do stuff that they're not capable of. But you put them in their sweet spot, and they love it. They love songs, chants, plays, um, acting out things, um, singing, all that sort of thing. So if I can use that in, in my classroom and then um, use that as a tool to get the concepts, the math concepts across or the phonics concepts across, um, then that is huge. And that's very classically um, what, how would you phrase that? Mm-hmm. That's a very classical thing to do, to right. teach to the children. With, this is the wet cement stage. Mm-hmm. They love school. They love you. They love to learn. So we want to make the most of that. We don't want to squash their little spirits at this stage. We want to encourage that. We want to um, engage them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Tanya, and, t- I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Well, and like <clears throat> Tanya said, it's it's really work disguised as play. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are playing, but they're working and they're learning so much. Mm-hmm. And um, just to build on that, we're asking questions. We mm-hmm. The classical approach is to, to, to learn new things, to think about that, and then to come up with conclusions and express that. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're taking turns and speaking with one another after questions and thinking about the information and coming up with their own response. They're mm-hmm. presenting to one another and memorizing happens 
mm-hmm. all the time through songs. And I mean, mm-hmm. they memorize the ABCs through a song. It's amazing. 26 right. letters yeah. and they have it. So through poems. And so it's just building upon the knowledge they have and to mm-hmm. continue going and to explore. Yeah. Very good. Very good. What were you going to say, Mark? No, Tanya had mentioned phonics and the importance of phonics about mm-hmm. three or four times. And what mm-hmm. I wanted to ask Shelley. Uh, about phonics readiness, because the foundation, of course, is being laid in preschool. You know, why such an emphasis on phonics readiness, and what are some specific ways that parents can help their preschoolers learn their letters and their sounds? Well, phonics is looking at the sounds of the letters. And as I said, they learn their ABCs, and they learn to recognize their letters and, and even start putting those in ABC order but without knowing the sounds, they cannot crack the code of reading mm-hmm. and words. And so it's important f- for them to learn the sounds. And so we do that through, we have an active class. We do that through kicking our legs when we're learning that K says K, 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 mm-hmm. and we're kicking. Mm-hmm. So it can be lots of motions in there. It can be putting a D on the door. And when you walk by it, D says duh. And and just getting those sounds done when we do the um, lowercase letters, focus on those short sounds first. But then also to play with it, to rhyme, mm-hmm. to to um, help them put words together like, what do you hear when I say k- at? I hear cat. Mm-hmm. Or what's the, you know, the first sound you hear? What's the last sound you hear? So it's just to play with the words so that they understand and can hear when it changes. Mm, that's a really important mm-hmm. detail is being able to hear those changes at young ages is really a good preparation for mm-hmm. uh, learning to read then later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you emphasize phonics as well. Um, I think that that's one of the big topics in schools today, discussion of what's the best way to teach reading. And we know, not just because we've experienced it at Liberty, but Tanya's, how many places have you taught and how many places have you taught, Shelley? Um, we know that through phonics, we are able to do a much better job of preparing kids for learning how to read. Like you say, it helps them crack the code. Mm-hmm. Gives them such mm-hmm. a good foundation. Mm-hmm. And I have a question for Tanya as well, too. I know growing up while I was going through school, I kind of developed a bad habit with like m- just memorization alone. But I, at times I didn't really transition into the actual learning discipline. So I'm just wondering, even at the kindergarten level, is there anything I can do as a parent that can help my child transition from merely having the memory of a sponge to cultivating a learning discipline? Sure. That's, it's, a little, it's a little tricky because they're still only five and six. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they will memorize. They are almost um, just suited to do that. Mm-hmm. So what you need to look at as a parent is what are they memorizing? Because, um, you, you, I mean, it could be they're memorizing the songs from a terrible song on the radio or something like that. So they will memorize. So I would always steer them in a direction of memorizing great things. Like for us, we memorize um, poems. Um, that have an educational you know, value. Mm-hmm. So, so they're still using their memory, but then it's actually recalling like two, four, six, eight, being even is just great. One, three, five, <laughs> seven, nine, being odd is just fine. So if you <laughs> want to learn a poem, learn a poem that's actually going to teach them something as well. I'm also a big, um, I don't know what, I love children's literature, but I mean really good children's literature. There's some really awful stuff out there. Um, that So kids will memorize books at that stage. I mean, that's part of the pre-reading skill is that they will actually memorize a whole book. So look at the books that you're putting in front of your children. There's some great, really good children's literature out there. Get them learning that, not some of the other not-so-good stuff that's mm-hmm. out there. And I want to follow that question up, Tanya, uh, with this question for you as well. All-day kindergarten, that's on the rise here in the state of Minnesota, we all know. 
What are the benefits, though, of keeping kindergarten as a half day as opposed to a full day? Okay. Well, someone who's taught on both sides of the um, – I've taught all day in, in Australia and New Zealand and then half day here. I love the half day program only because it gives them a chance. We get a really good concentrated chunk of time in the morning and we really hit just the basics. We hit um, the pre-reading stuff. We hit the handwriting. We hit the math. There's going to be plenty of time to do science and all that sort of stuff later. Um, and then it gives them a chance just to be kids in the afternoon to maybe go home, spend some time, do some reading with mum and dad. We can fit it all in into that morning um, okay. quite easily sure yeah and that's really an important thing for us to listen or to hear as well because like you say it is a controversy out there right now as in and the state of minnesota just prompted full day kindergarten and there's some parents that really don't want that and you're demonstrating that we really can focus on the important things in kindergarten and get it done in a half a day that's important for our listeners to hear um so one quick thing before we go to the break here at liberty we do a um Fourth quarter, we transition the students from half day to full day. And so Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do a full day and we keep Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We remain, it remains a half day. So very, very quickly here before we go to our break, <laughs> um, can you tell us what's the purpose of that? Well, they've been coming to ha- for half day for the first three quarters. So in the fourth quarter, we just, was this a transition time? They learn what it's like to go to the canteen, go to the um, cafeteria, canteen, where yeah, am okay. I? In the army? <laughs> um, to the cafeteria, where they get to sit, how they get to line up for their school lunches, what, you know, how, to, to survive basically the whole day. It's for those kids who go home and have a nap in the afternoon. Um, there's, you know, there's more an opportunity for them to learn what it's like to stay from nine till three and to just to complete a whole day. And then that transition is nice and smooth when they go into first grade. They're not completely and utterly um, overwhelmed because, no, they did that on Tuesday, Thursday. It's a really nice transition time from um, just half day to two days full and then to all day full when they're in first grade. Hmm. Very good. All right. Well, we are going to take a little break right there and join us when we come back. And we will be continuing our conversation with Tanya Kronschnabel and Shelley DeBracca from Liberty Classical Academy. And welcome back to Education Nation. I am your co-host, Mark Durkin, of course, uh, joined with the headmaster of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom. Our special guests in studio today are Liberty Classical Academy teachers at the preschool and kindergarten levels. Uh, yes, Shelley Dobrotka and Tanya Kronschnabel. So we are continuing our conversation this morning about preparation for preschool and kindergarten, what to look for. We focus the first half of the show on what we can do inside the classroom in preparing our kids. Now we're going to take a look at how we can prepare our kids outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And a question that has garnered much controversy and certainly plenty of discussion is what about the all-important summer birthday issue? Uh, what about that student who won't turn five until September or October? What are your thoughts? Okay, I have some pretty... Um uh, pretty developed thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has come from many, many years of teaching in the kindergarten class. And uh, even in Australia, my um, summer birthdays, so to speak, uh, they were the ones that I had to end up repeating. 
um, mm. often because they and not because they weren't bright little guys. Um, and it's usually the boys have to say it's boys. Um, the girls seem to even if they're summer they they seem to cope a little bit better. But boy, the little boys especially um, sometimes really struggle with just the disciplines and the structure of kindergarten mm-hmm. um, at that age. I myself actually have a summer birthday boy. My son was a summer birthday, and my husband wanted to send him, and I was like, nope, we're not sending him. And now after all, he's in fifth grade now, and my husband sees um, the wisdom in the fact that we held him back, and he was a full six. He he. Turned and um, six going into kindergarten, and it's worked really well with him. And then those, I mean, for me, it's always like, do you want your child to be at the bottom there really sort of struggling all the way through? Or if you've given them that extra year, especially a boy, then that just gives them the more confidence. They go in feeling um, like they can be successful. It breaks my heart as a kindergarten teacher to see a child who's just, they're just emotionally and socially not there yet. And I can see them struggling and it seems like it's not necessary. They could they would benefit from another year in preschool and then bring them back the next year and then there's not even that question of having to repeat kindergarten or anything like that and their first year has been this amazing time where they felt like they were successful it breaks my heart when I see kids that that feel like they're not successful and it's not that they're not going to be it's just they're not emotionally and socially ready Mm -hmm. especially some of those summer boys so that's my take on it well when you think about it these kids are only five years old so Six months in the life of a child that's only five years old is huge. Mm -hmm. And so we have to remember that as an adult, that, you know, those those months really do count. There's a reason why we say all the way through the age of five, they're, you know, three months or three years, six months and Mm -hmm. four years, two months, you know, because every month counts when they're so young. And I could even say that even academically, I've had children who are academically very bright and they still just haven't coped with just the structure and just the socialization. And then you start getting that awful, like the other boys won't, doesn't, don't want to play with him because he just doesn't know how to engage, even though even, um, you know, educationally he's doing really well. So mm-hmm. it really is a social and emotional mm-hmm. thing for them. Mm-hmm. And not to camp out on this too long, but also and a point that I think is important for our listeners to know is that even those kids who do seem to do okay with a summer birthday through lower school, often then we run into problems in middle school because they are developmentally uh, behind the other students and that really tends to then come out socially in the middle school years and I've I've seen this happen a number of times and it's it is like you say it seems so unnecessary mm-hmm. um, just give that child an extra year at home mm-hmm. or wherever they are and and then let them come to school and uh, they will have a much better experience all the way through K-12 mm-hmm. yep. so um, another question that we wanted to talk to you about is the importance of parents establishing a bedtime that gives children enough sleep nine or more hours it seems to be the recommended amount would you like to talk about that? Well, actually, for preschools, preschoolers, we recommend 11 to 12 hours. Wow. So, wow. yeah, yes. it's important that they get their sleep, that they have that routine. As we like routines, they need routines, and they just they can expect to go to bed at a certain time. So they can take in more. They're ready to learn if they've had a good night's sleep. Yeah. Very important, isn't it? I know my son, used, my kids used to sleep 12 hours when they were that age. Yeah. It's really amazing that they can sleep that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then uh, how important is it for parents to see to it that their children have opportunities for rigorous physical activity outside when possible every day? Um, just having that physical activity is going to increase their muscle strength, which increases 
can help their coordination, and it's just important that they ha- are active. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only you know outside playing on the playground or throwing a ball or running, but also inside to have things for them to do that increases their fine motor skills. We're finding um, research is showing that while technology is wonderful and we're, ne- we're learning letters by you know on the phone and writing them, that their fine motor skills are not growing because mm. they're just swiping. Mm. So it's important that they have that tension that a crayon or a piece of chalk um, can provide. So to to give them opportunities to play with Legos and blocks and to cut with the scissors and to do various fine motor ex- activities is also important along with the gross motor skills. Mm. Yeah, that's really that's a great point that you made there. I hadn't thought about the ramifications of technology with the little kids and the fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Tanya, I wanted to ask you, I know with my five-year-old daughter you know, getting closer to kindergarten, I'm having a little hard time motivating her just to get her to kind of you know dress herself. I mean, I'm still having to help her with that. If you could discuss the importance of parents helping their children develop independence in dressing, eating, and personal hygiene. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, when they come into the kindergarten classroom, they really need to be able to put on their own shoes. Uh, they won't be on the right feet sometimes, and that's fine. I, I often have to <laughs> correct and go, oh, that, is, that doesn't look quite right, honey. Um, I would also recommend get, getting some – this seems so simple and silly almost, but get them a pair of shoes that they can get on themselves. I mean, I know that these really cute Converse shoes with the, the cool shoelaces and everything, but most kids can't um, do those up very well themselves. So those Velcro straps are wonderful. Anything that's got a buckle that they can sort of work, uh, get them to work on that. I think as a parent, you just have to back off and say, honey, I'm not going to help you. You're going to have to put those shoes on by yourself because when you go to school, Mrs. K (laughs) won't be able to help you because she's got 20 other students that she's also looking after. Also, they need to be able to put their snow gear on um, by themselves as well, be able to pull on snow pants, put on snow boots. Um, We help with mittens and things like that. But those sort of things. Uh, Shoes is huge because um, I could spend my whole day doing up shoelaces otherwise. (laughs) And I want to skip ahead to another question. What are some ways that parents can encourage work values such as effort and persistence and initiative? You know, stay with an activity until completion. I've got a really good one for that one, and it's really simple, and we used to encourage our parents back in Australia uh, to do this. Uh, When your kid is getting ready to go to school, um, establish a very firm uh, sort of procedure for your dinner where you expect them to sit up at the table and then they have to eat their dinner and they're not allowed to get up and down a million times and they're not allowed to, to you know to get distracted they sit there they eat they speak and all that sort of stuff for 10 minutes that is not a long period of time it might feel like a long period of time but we find the children who were unable to just sit up at the table with their parents and eat a, a dinner for a 10 minute block of time they actually struggled with the things like the the uh, table activities that we do they're about 10 minutes long or sitting and attending on the mat because they've never had that expectation that, no, you are going to sit up, you're going to complete this task, which happens to be eating your dinner and talking to your family, and then you may get down. Um, that's something that's really simple that you do every day. I mean, everyone has to eat their dinner. You can do that every day, and that's really good training that summer, especially before they come to school. Just insist that, nope, you sit there, you're going to eat your dinner, and then after 10 minutes you will be allowed to get down again, and your kindergarten teacher will thank you for it. (laughs) Yes, okay, that's a good one. We have one minute left, and I just want to ask a very, very quick question here, and if you can just give us a quick answer, Shelley. Um, What suggestions would you have uh, when your child 
is learning to start to write and draw letters. Oh, that is exciting time. Um, while it's exciting, I also encourage you to help them with holding a crayon. Uh, break those crayons in half and give them a little piece so their fingers can hold it and teach them how to do it, along with um, starting those letters at the top, work on capital letters, and and just proper formation. Because when they get to school, sometimes they have to relearn all that, and that can be just very discouraging to them. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good information today, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us, and I thank our listeners for joining us as well. And check out our podcast at iTunes and our Facebook page, and we look forward to joining you again next week. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.